Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Miketz Chamishi, the fifth Aliyah in Parshas Miketz. The topic of our Aliyah is bringing back Binyamin. It is a longer Aliyah of 35 Sukkim, running from Perig Membezio Tes to Mem Gimel Tes Vov. So let's take a look at a brief overview and then we'll jump straight into some points to ponder. So we're in the middle of the conversation here. Yosef has now just released the brothers from a three-day prison sentence. And he says, if you really want to prove your truth, you're now going to, um, I, I'm, I'm going to send you back. You're going to give you the food necessary. But the next time you appear in front of me, in front of me you need to bring your youngest brother. And then you can ver- verify your claims. Um, and uh, while this is going on, the brothers start talking among themselves, clearly in Hebrew, not in Egyptian. And they say, Aval we are guilty over our brother because we saw the pain and he begged us and we didn't listen to him. And that's why this is happening to us. And Reuven then chimes in and says, I said to you that you should not sin by this child and you didn't listen to me. Now his blood is being avenged. And they didn't realize that Yosef is actually listening because he can understand Hebrew because they believe that the interpreter is in between them and he cannot understand Hebrew. And he goes out to cry and then he comes back and he takes Shimon from them as a hostage, puts them into prison and then, uh, and then um, orders that their sacks be filled with the produce and he returns also their money to their sacks as well and they and off they go they go they take their donkeys and when they are at the Malon when they are at the inn where they're staying on the way back to Canaan they open one of the brothers opens up his sack sees their money is buried in it and they become and they all check and they find that the same is true and they become very scared because now they realize that they're going to be implicated for stealing as well. They come back to Yaakov and they tell him the whole story. They tell him about this person who starts to deal with us in a very difficult manner. And he asks them where they come from. And then he says at this test that you have to bring your brother and, um, and, and, uh, and you have to bring your youngest brother to prove your story as well. And uh, then they tell about how they found also their money as well. And uh, Yaakov Vinus says, I see Shekaltem, you've made me bereft. Yosef's no longer, Shimon's no longer now, now you want Binyamin. I'm suffering for all of this, this terrible, terrible feeling, Yaakov says. So Reuven jumps straight in and says, um, He says, you know what, I'll kill my own two children, says Reuven, if I don't bring Binyamin back to you. Give him to me and I'll return him. And Yaakov responds, no, I will not send Binyamin. Something that may happen to him and, I'm, and that will kill me. I'm going to die in, in grief. I will not do that. So in the meantime, they, the, 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 the famine way, wears its way on. They start fin- finishing their supplies. And Yaakov turns to his children. And he says, go down to Egypt and, and perhaps you can get it for us um, more. Yoda says, we can't. We're not allowed to go down if we don't have our younger brother. And he says, if you allow us to take Binyamin, that's wonderful. If not, we cannot go down. And then Yoda makes a very strong statement. And because uh, and, Yaakov says to him, why is it that you even told him you had another brother? And, ya- and, and, and they explained, we, we didn't. We didn't think that. How would we know that he would ask for him? So Yoda comes in and he says, I will take your opinion. I'll take personal responsibility. You can ask him from my hand. And if I do not, I have sinned to you for all days. That, as Rashi explains, is this world and the next world. But he says, but that's what we need to do. Yaakov in relents. Yisrael is his called now. Relents and he says, take take a mincha, take some of a few spices, a little bit of honey, all kinds of nuts and give them double money and, and uh, return, the, return money from last time and go to this man and Hashem should give you mercy in front of this man to send back your brother and Binyamin 
And Kasher Shakalti 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 has been bereft. I've been bereft. Yaakov Vinu is already trying to rationalize the idea of losing his children already. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And off they go. They go down and they go down to Egypt with Binyamin to go in front of Yosef. Very, very painful Aliyah to read. So a few basic points to ponder is why is it that when the, the brothers arrive at the conclusion that they are ashamed, that they are guilty at this point in time, what triggers that? So the Racham HaKadosh explains that they already had justified selling Yosef. They felt that Yosef was a threat to their lives, to, the, uh, to, to their way of life, and they had really judged him in a based in among themselves that he was liable for death. So it's not that they're reconsidering that judgment. What they're saying is, is that although it was true that we judged him for death and we were merciful to sell, to sell him, we were still um, callous in not listening to his pleas and his cries. That was inappropriate and that inappropriateness is what we're being punished for now. Um, the Orachim actually explains that the fact that the, 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 that the ruler told them one of them must stay in captivity and they need, to, they need to give over one of them to be put into prison triggered this memory of what happened beforehand of them throwing one of their brothers into prison in order to gain their safety. And they realize this is really speaking to them. Rav, Rav Hirsch points out that the word um, Asham or Ashemim comes, uh, is going to later on in Chumash and Pashas Vayikra be what's called a Korban Asham, a guilt offering. And a guilt offering, the word Ashem or Asham is going to be the feeling of a, all the rationales a person makes, the justifications, um, being falling flat. After 20 years, they rationalized and explained their actions and why they needed to do this, even though Yaakov was crying and it was painful for him. But after 20, these, tw these 20 years now, finally, the, in an inescapable way, they realized that it was dishonest. And that's why they are say Ashenimim. That's what the Korban Asham is all about. Now, Soloveitchik explains that that's why in the Vidui service, would be what is said in some Nusrois after the Tvil, after the Shemona Esrei, what's said in the Slichos and on Yom Kippur, the beginning of that is Aval Anachnu Vavosenu Chatonu, but we and our forefathers have sinned. That comes from this pasuk, aval. The aval is but, meaning to say after all is said and done and after all of the explaining and the rationalizing and the justifying that we've made in our lives, in the end of the day, it doesn't add up. It's not honest. It's not honest. And when we have to keep explaining it to ourselves, the more we have to explain, the more it isn't honest. That's what the realization they're arriving at as well. Now, why is it that he takes Shimon out of all the brothers? Valim explains that Shimon was the oldest of the children of Leah who was involved in the sale. Reuven already extracted himself from this, and he was the one who had said to Levi that we're going to do this, and um, ultimately throws him into the pit in the prison. And so he is now thrown into the pit as well. This is part of the atonement, sort of moving back into the idea of the Kleokra we looked at last Aliyah. Why does Yosef return the money? So the Hayim explains that this just deepens the plot because now they can be indicted for stealing as well. They become much more vulnerable now because of this. Yosef has much more leverage on them as they return, which is why they are fearful. Now, what's this business with Ruvain's suggestion with his two sons? It seems to be self-defeating to kill his two sons. Why would that be his suggestion? Ibn Ezra explains that it wasn't that he was going to kill them. He was going to punish them. He says, you know, I will exact punishment on my children if I don't bring back um, your two children, Yaakov. Another explanation he suggests is that perhaps this is a prayer saying, Hashem, please don't allow this to happen, that I, that I would have to lose my two children for the sake of losing my father's two children um, as well. Different ways to try to explain what you're saying. The Malvim is saying, is that he take, it's, it's just his way of saying that he'll take responsibility for the two sons of Yaakov like the two sons of his own. Um, now, Ayim McDobber has a little bit of a different perspective where he says that Reuven feels that since he was not part of the Mechira, he has more of a capacity to be able to first succeed in his mission. After all, he was not one of the people who sold the brothers. He's not telling his father that, but he feels that he has the wherewithal to succeed more, even though it seems that the, the way he words his suggestion is quite, um, is quite jarring.
So what is Yehuda's promise and why is it that Yehuda's promise is, is taken more seriously by Yaakov Avinu as well? So first we should notice is that this idea of Yehuda taking responsibility is a huge a huge moment of growth because we've seen Yehuda at a much lower stage in his life when he sort of shirked all responsibility in, in, in terms of relationships at, the, at least when, it, when he was with Tamar and it became much more of a complex time. This taking responsibility is him taking his life and his leadership much more responsibly. That's a very big change. The Ramban says the reason why Yehuda was more was more believed or Yaakovina took it more seriously is for two reasons. One is that Reuven had already displayed his dishonesty by switching his beds. Whereas Yehuda had done had come a full circle in terms of his own responsibility in his own life. And number two is that Yehuda did not come to Yaakovinu in the heat of the moment. Um, the heat of the moment is when Yaakov, at the very beginning, when they come back at the, uh, and they tell the whole story, that's when Ruve makes his suggestion about his two sons and taking Binyamin. That's not the right time. It wasn't, I made Allah Perak, as they say. It wasn't necessary to deal with that right now. Yehuda waits until the opportune moment when the Yaakov in his back is against the wall, so to speak, as well. Um, it is interesting to note that the Gomorrah in Makos and Tafiyud Aleph on Beis tells us that a person that, that when a person does a Nidoy al it makes a, a very serious curse on, on even on its when it's on condition and the condition doesn't come to, to fruition. Still, there's a there's a danger in that in that curse being fulfilled, and so that's why the Gomorrah says that for the forty years in the desert, Yehuda's bones were rattling in the coffin. That means they were not accessing Olam Abba. and the reason was because he says these words of Chatasi Lecha Kolayamim, I've sinned to you against my, you, my father, all days. All days refers to Olam Azeh and Olam Haba, this world and the next world. So even though he did bring back Binyamin, these are very serious words and they had ramifications. I'd like to point out that the words of Ruvain also had ramifications, even though Ruvain did not end up taking Binyamin under his wing and responsibility. But points out that the gematria of Eshne, when he says, I'm going to kill my two children, that's the gematria of das, Dasan and Aviran, which are the two people who will die, in fact, in the future, and Ruven's um, words will be fulfilled with them as well. Now, finally, why is it that Yaakov suggests bringing a mincha back? Why is that his way, of, uh, his solution to going back to Yosef? So Rav Sarotskin points out that he's already displayed these two methodologies in um, uh, crisis mode before and when meeting with Yaakov in Pasha Sayishlach, we see that he sent a mincha and he prays to Hashem. There's no war. He can't make war against Egypt at this point in time, but he does do the mincha, which is this mincha and tefillah to Hashem because in order to do this, in fact, you'll notice that the three spices he sends, Tzari, Nechos, and Not, which are balsam spices and myrrh, are the same uh, the same spices that the traders Yosef had when we were trading when they sold him down to Egypt. So it may be without intent, perhaps with a little bit of Ruach HaKodesh, also a kapora for the sin of Yosef as well. Rav Hirsch also points out that um, um, that, that, it, it, that when it says lifnei ha'ish, when it says that he's going to bring this mincha in front of the man, it may also be a reference to the Ribbona Shalom, the Almighty. And what essentially is being said over here is in the end of the day that it's all in the hands of Hashem. Yes, we're going to deal with this, this official, this very difficult official that you've been dealing with, the master of Egypt, but I'm sending my mincha, so to speak, in front of ha'ish, in front of Hashem, because maybe Hashem will have rachamim as well. So Yaakovin is pivoting this upwards, which may explain the terminology mincha, which is also a sacrifice, not just a gift as well. With this, we close the fifth aliyah. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.